Welcome to the CIO Evolution. In this podcast, we'll explore the Chief Information Officer's role in executing a new ongoing leadership imperative, digital transformation that promotes agility and resilience. How do CIOs upgrade legacy networks? What are the financial challenges CIOs face? And what are the security measures that are required in the new work from anywhere, mobile and cloud-based world? Welcome to the CIO Evolution. We have two amazing guests with us here today, Pam Kubitowski and JP Sani. Pam is the AMS Field CTO, Zscaler, and JP is the Chief Digital Officer and Technology Officer of Sunbelt Rentals. This is an amazing show because we're going to be talking about transformation, security, and really the evolution of what is the CIO role, as well as the evolution of a company and a business. What is transforming across enterprises today? And our two guests are experts in these topics. And we're looking to explore not just the transformation, but what it means at a practical level for each of you as listeners and going through your own transformations as technology leaders, CIOs, and CISOs. So I'm gonna start off with a question for Pam. Pam, when you hear the term digital transformation, it means a lot to lots of different people. But what are you seeing as a field CTO when you look at transformations across enterprises and what are sort of the key things that each of these organizations that you're actually engaging with are trying to accomplish? Well, thanks, Les. I'm I'm so happy to be here with you and and JP. It's interesting, you know, in this role here at Zscaler, I talk to peers and executives on a daily basis and it does not matter what the actual industry is. And this is where I think it's really interesting. It doesn't matter whether it's healthcare or financial or it's governmental or it doesn't matter industry. Everyone is on a digital transformation path, right? Or they're thinking about it if they haven't started that path and they're trying to frame up in their mind, what is it for them? And what I see commonly, it's all about giving the business the flexibility of a user getting to the resource, an application, wherever it resides. The world was so complicated yesterday. You know, everything sat within these walls of a data center on premise you secured it down, you locked it down as hard as possible in the hopes that you were secure. Then it was fine. Your users were on premise. Maybe they'd be off premise here or there. But now that this shift has happened, it's accelerated over the last year, I see, year and a half, it's accelerated companies' digital transformations because the users and the apps may no longer be on those premises, right? They've moved to cloud They've moved to SaaS solutions. The users have gone home. They may come back. They may stay in a hybrid workforce. And it's really what I see is people want to have the same goals. They want to create a great end-user experience. They want to enhance their security posture. And they've got to reduce the debts they have in the infrastructure area because so many are carrying legacy environments still. Holy cow, that's a lot of transformation. (laughs) my application everywhere. I want my data everywhere at any time, any place. Yeah. Okay. And then it needs to be secure. And by the way, uh, we're in a really competitive world and and JP, you're in a very competitive world, but fundamentally you are changing your marketplace. You're a leader in that transformation at both a technical level and a business level. So tell us a little bit more about what's going on with Sunbelt Rentals and how you're actually changing the technology and the business. Thanks for having me. Uh, much appreciated. Yeah, Sunbelt Rentals, we're in a unique business of oversimplified way of explaining is equipment rental, but everything from 
hand tools to large machinery. And the, the unique part is in this business, what goes out comes back. So you've got to think of a complete business cycle of an asset that goes through different iterations and different stages of life on a day-to-day journey. So you know, for us, when we look at everything from, you know, how do we bring e-commerce to this marketplace of equipment rental and not just e-commerce, but it could be omni-channel play to so have different channels of engagement from an app to, you know, your website to your, you know, brick and mortar channels and others, you know, to looking at how can I bring dynamic pricing where you have all the levers to pull as a business and all the benefit to the customer in terms of demand and supply and, and availability and other things. And then all the stuff that happens, everything from someone coming into our digital assets to look at what's available. Can I book it? Can I get it delivered? Can I pick it up? To us actually delivering on that promise of putting it on a truck, but not just delivering it, you know, notifying you that we are on a way, it has been delivered to complete the cycle on the reverse side of it, to pick it up and then bring it back to our warehouses or branches to get it ready for renting again. And there's a complete cycle of inspection management uh, to yard management, to shop management. And then let's not forget, you know, you've you got to empower your folks who sell and who serve our clients. So in other words, you know, Salesforce, can we empower them with the same digital assets that our clients have access to? So, you know, we can match that experience in terms of all that. So, you know, it's a very traditional industry. We are bringing all these different elements I just shared with you to the table. So, a technology-driven transformation or advanced technology as one of the central pillars of this venture. Very aspirational, no doubt. But we have a good handle on it today, and it will bring the lubrication of tools to the table. Right down to you'll have lockers, you know, where you'll be able to look up, walk up to a locker, operate it from your handheld. Once you have a good reservation, you can walk up to a locker. It could be in front of target, a gas station, you name it, closer you know, to where it needs to be uh, to the customers and clients. And then the technology comes to play where it will open the door, you pick up your stuff, you go to your thing, you bring it back, you know, your close transaction gets done. So when we talk about all of these touch points from the front end to user experience to the back end, and you know, all of this is centric about a easy to use, but a secure transaction. Because there is that transaction of you know, data in terms of many different facets that you have to worry about personal data, uh, the currency data, you know, transactions that happens uh, behind the scenes. So we're looking forward to how we can improve the experience of the personas we serve, whether what we call D2C, direct to consumer, everything from a time stop homeowner to a light contractor to what we categorize as B2B business to business, which is anything from a contractor up to an institutional client, the likes of Amazon, the likes of Tesla's, you know, we serve them all. So when we design these experiences and which we are, we are literally redesigning or enhancing, or in certain cases, creating new experiences. Really, we took an approach where it's security day one, which we have to secure these experiences, but also lower the barrier of how people interact with us. So it's that very tight balance between operability and security. But I think we have a good combination that we can unlock. And that's really going to transform the industries and the people we serve. That's remarkable. I mean, I would guess, and in my mind's eye, I think 
okay, now you just explained a process that doesn't sound like that is native to an industry of equipment rental, right? Because I actually have had the experience with your company. I have to say, I was rebuilding a home out here on, on a cliffside in Utah, and we had to rent some equipment from your business. And frankly, the experience was seamless. And it was very different than one of your competitors, which made you seem like you were 21st century and they were somewhere in the 20th century and not towards the edge of the turn of the century. I really think it's remarkable that you have just re-engineered the business and re-engineered the logistics of the business. So you talk about frictionless way of conducting a transaction, and then you spoke about security. So how critical is the security element to making the process and the experience frictionless and value really created? It's, I think, one of the core principles of our experiences that we are designing, that our brand credibility relies on a secure transaction, which, to your point, you're a better wordsmith than I am, frictionless, right? Frictionless, but secure. And when that comes to play every day, hundreds and thousands of times, it just builds a brand credibility where people will come back for more. They they are willing to give us more data. They're willing to interact with us in ways that they haven't before. So security is paramount. So in terms of looking at this, Pam, and you get this view across industries, what is the requirement in this security versus the nice to have? And frankly, what works and what doesn't work when you look at companies making the kind of operational changes the JP is doing at Sunbelt? So I think the first place is I really truly believe there aren't any nice to haves. When it comes to security, it's not about nice to haves. It's what am I going to prioritize based on the funding I have? right? You're going to go ahead and you're going to evaluate and you're going to look and prioritize your risk against your vulnerabilities. And I think that's what companies have to do because it's not about, I want to have this or I want to have that. So what are the things that you would say when you look at this that are about the things that work and the things that don't work or the things that companies need to step back and do in order to achieve the not nice to have, but everything to have that they need? A lot of companies are still in a tactical mode. They're being reactive. They're going ahead and trying to shore up their environments. Let's face it, over the last year, year and a half, a lot of risk-based decisions were made in order to enable the business. You know, technicians had to keep the business running. IT had to keep it running. So now, and let's hope they didn't spend the year waiting and holding on for the day everyone went back to the office, right? Let's hope that organizations were looking at What do they have to do to make this more of a permanent reality? Shoring up the environment, looking at the actual areas that really do need a focus because it's not about, you know, a number of years ago, so many of us stopped saying, oh, if we were attacked, it's not about if, it's when. So where are your vulnerabilities? Focus on them and prioritize them. Look at it from a holistic approach versus a tactical approach. So they get past this detection technology, the assessment and compliance technology, the process management and the protection, and they start to move towards zero trust, right? They just have to move towards an identity, at least as a focus, if they're going to get past these tactics. I mean, isn't this a strategy and a change in strategy? And JP, have you been able to, to think of things in that way that kind of move you towards this better way of, of implementing process and zero trust. Absolutely, Liz. Um, so 
In my view, listen, many companies are still struggling to make cybersecurity a vibrant, proactive part of the strategy, operations, and culture, right? And in my view, there are a couple of root causes, you know, and two I can point out specifically is the cybersecurity is still, in most organizations, treated as a back office function, right? And second is most cyber leaders are not well-equipped to exert strategic influence. So for our business today, Cyber risk is everywhere. But yet for all the investment we have made to secure the systems and you know, protect customers, we're still struggling in many ways to make cybersecurity a vibrant, proactive part of our strategy, operations, and culture. And I think the, prog- the, the most progress we have made is in our strategy and our culture. And then we are heavily focused now on operations. And I think as you transform an organization culturally to say, I'll give you a quick example. Every meeting in our organization starts with a safety moment. We have instituted now a culture that a safety moment is followed by a cyber moment, right? So you almost have to ingrain into the DNA of the organization and the thinking. Of course, there are many mechanics behind the scenes that you have to deploy to get there, but those are some of the things. And then I've also seen that most of the companies, you know, expect their CISOs or whatever titles, you know, exist in different organizations, call it, for the lack of a better expression, their security chiefs, to focus on technical tasks and haven't expected more of them, while these leaders are actually capable of delivering a lot more. These cyber leaders, you know, they really have a huge and important goal of securing a business. But when companies make a lot of big acquisitions, strategic decisions, Business models, we're going through one. Digital strategy and transformation, we're doing it. Product mix that you decide to you know, make that happen. Mergers and acquisitions. Typically, what I've observed and I have have battle scars of my own, cybersecurity is an afterthought. And that just needs to change, right? Fundamentally, that means these companies are losing out on the value of the function you know, that a security chief can bring to the table. And that seems like that's pretty key, this cultural question. In other words, getting over the barriers to really elevating cybersecurity and maybe even this better posture, which Zero Trust arguably is, and getting away from this, I'm going to focus on perimeter security, then network security, then endpoint, then application, then data. I mean, it seems like it's all needing to be secure, but the focus is the organization. It's the data, it's the people, rather than just some assets or applications. So when you think about this removing of barriers, Pam, what do you think is, as JP just described, sort of the cultural step that needs to be taken? Is it a DNA every day of repetition and discussion? Or what are the things that move you beyond just thinking that you have to have security? It really comes down to, and I love you know, what JP said, and I completely agree. You have to embed it into your DNA of a culture of a company because it's got to be what you eat, you breathe, you sleep, right? In order to change that kind of culture and, and get it part of that, you've got to instill in your staff. It's got to come from the top down. You've got to instill in your staff where tomorrow is. I see so many organizations struggle because their technical staffs don't understand what does tomorrow really look like? I can tell you, oh, we want to get to zero trust. What does that mean? So many companies have taken the zero trust term and somewhat manipulated it to meet what they needed it to meet, whether it was a vendor selling it or whether it was a company saying, oh, I've achieved zero trust. 
I think it's confusing for technicians because we all read, right, the gardeners of the world in, in the actual papers that are written defining what it is. But your people have to see how they fit into it and into it for your company for tomorrow. I think that truly is the first thing that has to happen. Because once your people actually embrace change, it becomes part of the everyday. And that's where I see organizations really struggle. Let's face it, you can buy technology, you can decide on technology, but unless your people have embraced it to make it successful, it's just another something that you've bought. And when you think about, and I like this question, Pam, of thinking about tomorrow, is that JP essentially how you describe it to your team here? Our business model is no longer somebody walking up to a desk and renting something. We're now a logistics matching company instead. We're no longer a rental equipment company. Is that, do you go through that process? And can you give us a little bit of background on how you do it? Let me start by saying this. What got us here is not going to get us to the next level. And entrepreneurism at scale. I mean, those are the two fundamental key pillars of how we started on this. You have to acknowledge, you know, is, are we going to self-cannibalize some of the ways we do business or we offer our services? Of course, the mode of engagement has to be better. Of course, it has to be secure. But think of, you know, the mindset shift within our leaders to say, why should I do things different? Our numbers are public, you know, 50 plus percent DA margin. So when I go in and talk to, you know, some of the very successful business folks who are running very successful P&Ls, and I think the point you have to get past is, hey, how do we make that 51%? How do we help you make the 52%? You can't just go in with a stick to say, this is how we're going to go about driving the process, about driving a secure transaction. But I think you have to find ways of how do you engage these folks? Part of that is incentivize them. Part of that is the mind doesn't know what the eye doesn't see. Help them see what the journey may be to go from, you know, current state to the desired state. And then if you really want to look at it differently, to make all this a reality, we have to build very tight relationships across the business ecosystem. While we structure, while we grow, while we empower teams, and while we keep everything you know, on the tracks in terms of operability and security. And all of this has to translate into simple terms that the folks can logically and emotionally connect to and then can gravitate to before they start contributing what they need to bring to the table to really bring it all together. So at the end of the day, you know, in my view, your best cyber leader might be a proven non-cybersecurity executive who knows the business better than they know, you know security, you know, has key relationships throughout the company and has a general appreciation for technology. Of course, I'm by no means saying subject matter expertise is not needed. But you could bring the right qualified subject matter experts from different walks of life, tech, operations, otherwise, to the table. But you almost need a leader who can go connect, have folks have some emotional and logical connection to what you're trying to do. And that brings a lot of energy to the table. It builds that synergy that you need to start moving you know, the rock forward, if you would. If you have to push it down the hill, you still have work to do to get to the edge, you know, before it starts rolling down. It sounds a little hypothetical, but in my view, 25 years or so, that's the mantra I have embraced. That's what I share with my teams. 
I came into this business 30 months ago. And when you allow the dialogue, you allow the engagement, you make the logical and emotional connection, beautiful things happen. That is awesome. I mean, that's one of the best explanations on a roadmap to digital transformation and security that I've ever heard. And I mean that. Forget about Gartner or Forrester. Pam said, we need to come to the revolutionaries and listen to JP. I mean, that is exactly right. And I had not thought about this idea of the forward business-facing cybersecurity or security mantra. In other words, the driving from the business, the necessity for, as Pam said, what does our tomorrow look like? Like, how do we go from here to there? And, and you actually said, I've been writing them down, a number of things, which I will quote you, JP, don't worry. As I get into my next meetings and, and board meetings, I will say, JP, Sonny said this. Happy to share. <laughs> <laughs> what it got us here is not what's going to get us to tomorrow or, or get us there. And the incentive and the eyesight part of this so when you think about it for these executives, these leaders, are there certain data points? I mean, we've just, everybody said, hey, we're going to the cloud. So we're now going to be cloud first and, and everyone's finally on board with that. Are there things that you think, um, data points, uh, information that are critical in that world? And then Pam as well, is now security irrelevant because we got cloud or, or is it a different kind of security? So JP, if you'll take the first half of that, what are sort of the key data points that you think get you to the solution set and the roadmap you just described? If we start everything with security first and, hey, if we, we don't check the box on security, nothing is going to transpire, I think that may be a heavy rock to move. But in my point, when we talk about cloud and you're going from an on-prem or you're transitioning to a more hybrid approach, you're actually, by taking the cloud-first approach, you're able to distribute your risk in different providers. We're working with many A-plus world-class providers. Imagine if I have to run all of that under my shell, and I have to protect that, I have to nurture it, versus if I take the business capabilities that I need to deliver on, and I'm going into a cloud-first model, where that's, you know, I don't want to get lost in the SaaS pass, the list is long, point is, you have a cloud provider, you now have a shared risk and shared benefit model where these folks have their reputation aligned where they're going to protect their house. And if I'm working with five of them versus I have to do all those five functions on my own, now I've distributed my risk. I actually have six of us, five of them and us protecting the house. And you're also eliminating the single point of failure or single point of vulnerability, you know, where if something gets breached in this game, we have all done this long enough. It's a question of when that calamity hits versus not hit. So you have to be prepared for that. But I think in my view, cloud first, looking at cloud shouldn't be seen as, you know, a burden or a big lift. But in fact, I'm going with shared risk, shared benefit model. That's data point number one. Second, I think you need to have good, strong enterprise architecture, whether you have a team internally, and if your stage of life and affordability doesn't allow you to do that, there are enough players out there who will help you do it. Have a good, sound, functional enterprise architecture in place. And while you do that, don't have security as a retrofit. Do security day one. And as you start assimilating and converging your overall ecosystem and your overall enterprise architecture, 
you will find out points of contention. You'll find out points that you may get hit on because there are lots of ways to get and converge the, the threat vectors where you can have a much better mousetrap. Let's not forget, lots of folks in the industry can come and consult and help you get started, but you have to have the ability over a period of time to build your own resiliency to say, how do I take over? So I think it's a healthy balance between, call it a smart sourcing, you have some horsepower on the outside, you have to have some folks on the inside, and I think that becomes a wheel that keeps moving as you go through different walks, you know, stages of life and iteration. So, you know, those are three things I would offer. Uh, again, you could get a lot technical, but at a high level strategic point of view, I think cloud becomes a reality in many ways, but a secure cloud, a viable cloud, a sustainable cloud journey probably is a better way to look at it. And Pam, if everybody does what JP just says, and now they're, they're really cloud first, does security matter or is it a different posture? I think everyone wants to be cloud first, but what I see a lot of organizations and even in my former role, right? In my previous company, we were cloud first, but not everything could go to the cloud. There was that hybrid cloud strategy that yes, would we want to say, okay, is that the right spot? Is cloud the right spot for this application? Uh, you know, maybe not. Or, hey, this is a validated environment and it's still running on some old hardware and we're not doing the upgrades to it to lift and shift this. We're going to leave it where it is. So I think that's where you're finding a lot of organizations in this hybrid world and security is of the utmost importance. Just because you go to cloud, don't even think about letting the foot off the gas pedal of security because security is even in my mind, more important. If you do it right, you will sleep at night, but it doesn't lessen the importance of it. And you have to pick a partner who is the one not sleeping at night, making sure that it is staying secure. It is staying in, you're not vulnerable. And that's where I think organizations are finding themselves. And sort of a, a punctuation on this and thinking about this is this sense of data sovereignty that we now have, that there's an expectation of privacy and some sort of, uh, if you will, proper stewardship to data. One of those driving factors now that you have these hybrid architectures and what should companies be looking for when they think about that? You know, it's getting more complicated relative to governmental requirements based on what country it is. And organizations need to understand, and this is where IT can't do this alone. It doesn't matter whether it's IT or cybersecurity or both of them together. They have to be unified with the business to understand where does the business want to go in a specific country to understand and what will be the business in that country to understand then how do they deal with data? Because each country is a little different and they're becoming more and more complicated as to what their requirements are. And JP, you have the last word. What should our listeners be thinking about in the next year, the next 12 months? What should they be prioritizing and thinking about when they think about this evolution and transformation of their business, their leadership position, and security? Listen, when, when it comes to data and how do we improve data security, you know, we got to think about consciously limiting the amount of data being collected. By no means I'm saying, you know, start cutting back on the amount of data, but you got to make some conscious decisions of what we bring in and what we're protecting. Um, you got to have a little bit more uh, rigor about data lifecycle management and process around um, data site. 
If you go beyond data and you look at, okay, I'm bringing all these different capabilities to the marketplace, I have to extend myself to my clients, my partners, my own employees. We always keep forgetting about our employees. And in a pandemic has taught us a very hard lesson to say things can change very quickly. Um, I think all these are points of transaction that happen every single day, different personas. We have to be able to effectively serve these personas. And I think security is now, in my view, table stakes. If you're thinking security is an option, I think you're in the wrong business. A lot of folks have changed careers during pandemic. With all due respect, I think if security is an afterthought at this point, and security is not in the top five strategic, you know, pillars you're thinking of on how you're going to you know, go through a three-year, five-year, whatever your taste is, and whatever the company or business allows. So I think those are some of the things that you know, don't be shy of the art of the possible. I think you should cast a broader net to say, how do we serve these experiences or products to the you know, employees at the industry? But then narrow it down if that's the top of the funnel. The bottom of the funnel where the magic really happens is you got to ensure that you know, whatever we actually put out there, there is a good baseline of security that checks the balances of operability versus security. There's a very fine line between you tweak a little to the left or the right, you're going to break, you know, one or the other. But a little bit of experimentation up front, a little bit of uh, user acceptance, uh, good support from the organization internally. And of course, you know, if the marketplace has the appetite for what you're trying to deliver, I think it all comes together. And that's really where the magic begins. Well, that is remarkable. And thank you. I want to thank both you, Pam, and you, JP, for an excellent CIO Evolution show. This has been just great advice, insights, and direction. And I actually, I, I really, really ask and implore all of our listeners to go to revolutionaries.com and learn more. We're going to be posting more information about this interview and some background information, of course, about zero trust and transformations. Thank you, Pam Kubidowski and JP Sani. JP, I would replace all my Gartner research with you for just one day. Okay. So you have, you have an alternative job if we decide to go further with this. Thank you very much for being a guest on the show. I appreciate the insights and look forward to having you back on CIO Evolution. Thanks for listening to the CIO Evolution. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. You can find more episodes along with other podcasts on the CXO Revolutionaries website at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Statements by Zscaler podcasters and guests are informational only and should never be construed as legal advice. You should consult your legal advisor on matters related to you or your business. Zscaler makes no warranties, express, implied, or statutory as to the content of this podcast, and it is provided as is. Content on this podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are current as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These statements are subject to the safe harbor provisions created by the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Full legal disclaimers are available at revolutionaries.zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.